Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Hello, listeners. I hope you're all doing well out there, staying safe and healthy during these strange times. I'm very happy to be bringing you today's interview with none other than Mr. David Letterman. He is a legend in our own time. I loved his show, every incarnation of his late night show. It was kind of a religion, basically, for me in my 20s to watch him and just revered his style, his comedy, his edge, all of it, and the interviews that he would get between Madonna and Cher and Drew Barrymore. They really were kind of the gold standard in pop culture moments. But today, Dave has joined me. We're going to talk about his show, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. It's streaming on Netflix. And I have to say that Dave was a master at the short interview, but it's absolutely delicious to see him and listen to him relax into the long form interview with his guests. It's really a treat. So if you haven't watched the show yet, I would highly recommend that you do. And the third season is going to be coming out soon. Now, I'm speaking to you from my home closet studio, (laughs) but this interview happened before in Los Angeles, before we had the shelter in place order. So I want to prep you guys. It was special because Dave wanted to do the interview while he was here in L.A. in a a deli. It's a 24-hour deli called Cantor's, and it's rather famous in Los Angeles. It's an iconic, basically a landmark And it holds a very special place in Dave's heart, and you'll hear why. Of course, Cantor's was open for business, so you will also hear clattering and clanging and uh, a meat slicer going at it, but that adds to the fun of it. Dave was in top form when we sat down. We reminisced about the early days of his career. We talked about the young man he was back in the 70s when he lived in L.A. and how much the comedy scene has changed. We also talk about fatherhood, fishing in Montana, and a whole bunch of stuff. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, please enjoy. This is David Letterman. All right, so we're in Cantor's, which is a lot of fun. It's been a while since I've been here. You have been here. I have been mm-hmm. here, yes, as living in Los Angeles for the last yeah. 20 years. It's kind of famous, Cantor's, right? Yes. Uh, what does it mean for you? Well, um, to me, um, it, it, um, it's a, a placeholder in my life. Uh, there, was friends, there were friends of mine, still friends of mine, uh, that used to like to come here after the comedy store closed. And the nice thing about this place is it's open 24 hours a day, I believe seven days a week, uh, for infinity. And we, for a time, would come here and gather after the comedy store and make each other laugh 
uh, and have fun and make fun of other people and talk about how badly we bombed or how well we did or what we were doing or hopes and dreams and and uh, friendships outside of the comedy store extended to to this gathering and and that's what it was. It was one of the several places that we would go, but this this place was. Uh, uh, it was good for us because it was never closed. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, I can remember the second time I was here and it would got to be like three o'clock in the morning and thinking, I just, I'm, I'm used to going to bed at night. And uh, is the fun we're having here uh, worth complete exhaustion? And in those days, yeah, it was. It was not, not a bad trade-off. <laughs> and you moved here in 1975, right? Yes, yeah. ma'am. So what, what was that, Dave, like? Well, uh, geez, that's an, I, I don't know. You would have to, um, really naive, uh, ignorant, uh, driven mostly by a, a, a small, low-flame ego, uh, belief in myself, detuned, uh, knowing exactly what I wanted for myself, thinking, I can remember being in Los Angeles and being stunned by it because I came from Indianapolis, and I don't know if you've been to Indianapolis, but the similarities are distant, <laughs> uh, if not yeah. non-existent. Yeah. And so uh, I, I had to get used to new flora, new fauna, new sky, new weather, uh, new lack of zoning. It was berserk. So, uh, but still in all, I knew I was in the right place. And I felt like even being here, I had accomplished something because what I wanted to do, I couldn't do in Indianapolis. I knew if I could do it, it could be done here. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying I could do it, but I knew, you know, I was in the right line here. And before that, you were the weatherman, right? Well, I was many things. I was uh, hired when I was in college to be the booth announcer. I don't believe that position exists anymore in television. And you would be required to keep the log, log all of the commercials that ran and the time. And then you would read live commercials and you would uh, give the station identification on the hour and the half hour. And it was a tedious position, but then you also got to fill in on camera jobs for uh, when people would go on vacation. I would get to be the weatherman. I would get to read news. I would get to do everything. It was, it was a great experience. And I was, you know, a kid. I was uh, like 20 years old and still in college. And in the summers, I would get to do that. So I loved that. And uh, television at that level, the nice thing about it is it's the same at that level as it is at the highest level. It's, it's pretty much just this. And so once you've had a couple of months of that, you're, you're ready to go, really. <laughs> you're 10,000 hours, so, so to <laughs> yeah, speak. That's right. That's what, <laughs> that's what it takes, sure. <laughs> so when you come here, what, how much has the comedy changed? Well, I, I had my eyes uh, really opened up because uh, those of us who were of that era, 1975, early 80s and such at the comedy store, uh, always thought of it as like uh, Paris before the war, uh, full of romance, full of camaraderie, uh, full of great uh, creativity uh, and, 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 and fighting the good fight. And we were, you know, the resistance and we knew and there were only a couple hundred comics in the country, so we were we were really the chosen few in those days. And uh, we look back on it, and you, you talk to anybody from that period, and they'll give you the same same version of that. Maybe not as sappy, romantic as my version of it, but that's how I felt about it. It was looking back on it. You go there every night, and you'd see people that really made you laugh, and then you could come here. 
and they would continue to make you laugh, and it was delightful. Uh, and so I look at that as being the, the really high time for the art. Uh, and now I realize that I'm wrong, that in fact the high time for the art is now, and, and the comedy store, while, while it was uh, uh, a small enclave of uh, men and women who had the same dream, it's turned into a factory. It's big stars in comedy who, who get specials on Netflix. They get three or four deal, uh, three or four shows a deal. They, they play in stadiums all around the country, and they're enormous stars. And that, that just didn't happen when we were there. Mm-hmm. And, and people have uh, disavowed me of my romantic version of <laughs> our time there as being the, the best time to be there. They say, no, absolutely not. Now is the time to be there because it's, it's huge. It's really gotten huge. Yeah, but where's the room for the younger comedian when it used to be the litmus test for success was getting that Johnny Carson slot? Right. Which is one of the things. I know on your My Next Guest, you always talk about what you have in common, and I watched the Johnny Carson show uh, religiously with my dad because that was the one way to kind of hang out with yeah. my father is he loved Johnny Carson, so I would stay up late and watch that. So. To me, it kind of seems like now there's so much everywhere. Right. Like, I do love still the romance of that. I mean, what? where is that comedy store today? Where are those young comedians, like, kind of uh, galvanizing around each other? I don't know. I, I mean, perhaps it exists in, in some minor version at the comedy store or at the Laugh Factory or at the Improv. Uh, we were, uh, my friend uh, Mary and I were in a, uh, a comedy club in Indianapolis the other night, uh, and it was uh, open mic night. And you, you went into the place, and it was a, a big, nice room, and, and the lobby of the place is plastered with headshots of young comedians, men and, and women, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures and you just walk around not knowing who you're looking at. So they're in the situation that we were all in at the comedy store. So in answer to your question, I don't know where that is, but Mm -hmm. it it apparently does exist somewhere. Do you watch a lot of comedians still? Do you learn from the new comedians? Uh, No, I I should. I I watch a few people recommend uh, uh, comedians that I should be looking at and I'm when I see somebody that's been recommended, uh, the state of the art is so advanced from what I was up to and what I was uh, influenced by. It's, it's remarkable, the, the intelligence, um, the insight, uh, the, uh, the articulate way material is presented, the effortless way material is presented is, uh, is, very, is en- enviable. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not what we were doing. When we, back in 1975. Mm-hmm. But now it's become so PC. I find that that's also a challenge, too. It well, like- yes, and then you see guys like Dave Chappelle who can uh, tell you uh, why it's okay not to be politically correct and then demonstrate it and somehow uh, underwrite his position in a way that, that makes sense and you're not offended by it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure he has struggles. I'm sure everybody who's doing it has struggles. But it, it, like anything else, you say anything you want, you just have to be prepared to live with the consequences. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, am very impressed by 
the, the freedom uh, or lack of awareness or lack of concern that I see from these men and women uh, about that very thing. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think and what I feel, and if you don't like it, you can go home. Uh, that's admirable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His show was great. Speaking yeah. of Netflix, and, yeah. and that show was great. So you have your show on Netflix, My Next Guest, and I've watched every single one of them. And I got to say, your skills, and I know you don't like compliments, so I won't drone on too much, but your long-form ed- you know, interview skills are very admirable. Yes, you know <laughs> what that is? That's uh, editing. That's what that is. <laughs> We we, no. uh, we end up yeah. running a show about two days. We'll take a break and get sleep, soup, and a hot blanket. Then we come <laughs> back and finish it up, and then they take uh, 48 hours of video and they edit that. Yeah. All right. All right. But you're still pretty good, especially <laughs> since you spent the majority of your career doing the 90-second interview right. uh, on your talk yeah, show. Yeah, well, you know, as I, as I got older, um, uh, I, I found that I, 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 um, I can't stop talking. And somebody would come out, and there would be two segments on the show, and you'd get, uh, you know, four minutes in the first segment and three minutes in the second segment, or maybe five and five, just, you know, kind of like that. And uh, at the end of every show, it was frustrating because, uh, Dave, we're a uh, half an hour over, so we're going to have to edit um, the, the, the guy that had the rabid cougar. And, and what? What happened? And I just couldn't, I couldn't, you know, people would say, okay, one minute, okay, that's it, you're done. And I couldn't stop talking. And you'll experience that mm-hmm. here uh, about the time we're ordering supper. I'm planning on it because i got a lot of <laughs> things to talk to you about, so I'm hoping for that. Uh, do you miss anything about those days at all? Um, I, 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 miss, uh, I, I miss having a place to talk uh, where people are either uh, paying attention or pretending to pay attention. Because at the house, uh, I'm pretty far down on the flow chart. Mm-hmm. And uh, that irritates me. Mm-hmm. So if you can get people under any pretense to sit there and act like they're listening to me, mm-hmm. that's all. That's all I'm looking for. Well, the beard might be a little bit of a deterrent. Yeah, I- I'm amazed that you still have it. Like, isn't there? Is there anything that's annoying about it? Uh, no, not to me. To others, yes. The <laughs> uh, the annoyance of it uh, at large is endless. Uh-huh. Um, but, I mean, do you remember what I looked like, yeah. for God's sake? Double-breasted. Do I remember? Oh, my you were God. Like... Well, who wants that? Yeah. And uh, I, I keep forgetting I have it. And then I periodically I will see people that I will say to my son, look, there I am without the beard. And it's always unpleasant. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, a mirror image without the facial hair. And I just think, oh, my God. I, I just, I have to put in my will that some idiot at the mortuary doesn't shave me <laughs> uh, and put me in a suit because m- my wife has said, yeah, just go ahead, just, just get rid of me. <laughs> well, I am surprised it isn't, like, itch or irritated in well, any way. Well, yeah, that bit. suggests a, a certain lack of hygiene. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I do what I can. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, um, what is it? I, I spray it with Roundup. Right. And that seems to take care of almost everything. That's the Montana in you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I was thinking about sitting down with you, obviously, and there's so many definitive things as a kid watching you. And as a kid, I mean, in like high school, college and, and onward that kind of defined my generation of Gen X, whether it was Madonna or Drew or the thing you had with Cher and the stupid Petrix. And I happen to love um, anytime you dropped anything off of 
the roof was one of my favorites, like whatever that was, a watermelon. There's something very things. satisfying about it. It's such a yeah. stupid idea. And I remember the first time we did it, I forget who on the staff had the idea, but it was like, well, of course. People love to see stuff explode. Uh, and we went out to a, 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 a fireman's test facility, and they, they had a tower, like a six-story tower, that periodically they would set on fire, and then the firemen would have to test their skills going into a burning tower and extinguishing it. And so we went out there, and we got their permission. And the thing had no railing at, at the very top. and Or maybe it only had one on one side, but it was very perilous. Mm-hmm. And we were up there all day. And it was our first ever uh, drop fest. And it was so frightening because you could just see a cameraman tripping on a cable and, Where, where's Bob? Oh, my. Oh, all right. That's it for the day. But it never happened, luckily. And then when we got our own building, we could just drop stuff off our, off our roof. And I think it's a pathetic substitute for actual comedy. You know, it's, <laughs> but, God, it was fun. It was it's, fun. It, it was fun to watch. Childish. Right? And um, the writers would always try to build a joke into whatever was being dropped. But that, you didn't really need that. You just like to see stuff busted. Mm-hmm. You like to watch it falling and busted. Then you wanted to see it uh, reverse the video so it all comes back together and flies up the tower. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way to defend it. It's just uh, a part of human nature. Let me, you know, let's see something drop off a building. Yeah. Are there certain moments of that time period that you remember more than others, like guests that you think about? You know, it's nowhere? interesting. I, I, I don't. Uh, uh, people... Like, like the dropping of stuff off the building. That would never have occurred to me today if somebody, yourself, hadn't brought it up. And, and then it's very vivid. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like you helped Joaquin win the Oscar this year. I just will say yes. that. Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. What a guy he is, uh, you know? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll take credit for that. Sure. Yeah, you can. Um, all right, back to my next guest. How do you choose who you want to interview? What's your thought process because the, the the punchline is needs no introduction, right. right? Yeah. Well, that's supposed to be the uh, the punchline and the premise. And um, like everything else in life, it's not simple because one assumes that a person at that level is eager to sit down and talk for an hour. And because of schedule, because of other commitments, because of a deep seated dislike of me, it, it, it's it's a difficulty. So the, the, the hard part of the show is actually assembling it. And we, we have a lot of help doing that. We have a lot of friends of friends. The people at Netflix have been great about um, tapping people on the shoulder, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, agents, the folks at CAA, uh, uh, people that we have made friends with over the years from the old show. So it's, a, um, it's not like there's a line of people who need no introduction waiting to get on the show. We have to go after them and negotiate, and, you know, it's, it's, that's the hard part. And, mm-hmm. and, and luckily, I don't have to do any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, other, other people are doing that. But you're very prepared. Well, it's fun. Uh, y- you know, we spend about six weeks uh, per guest, and uh, the, the thing that I've liked about it is uh, y- you learn stuff. Uh, typically, it's people that I only know at arm's length, just kind of a cursory knowledge of what they are up to. And then you, the, the stories of, of humans 
Um, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the things that they, like in my case, I had, I had nothing to overcome. I, I knew exactly what I was going to do. It was A, it was B, it was C, and everything just went like that. Uh, but some of the people that we talked to uh, have, have been shot in the face. Um, some of the people uh, were, were booted out of their own home because the family could no longer support them. Uh, so, some of the, the, you know, the stories mm-hmm. are uh, jaw-dropping and unimaginable, but that's, the, that's sadly the nature of life. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's the good and the bad of it, and I, I have invented this little device whereby what's more surprising, what humans do to humans or what humans can survive after having things done to them. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, so th- that's what I find interesting, the, just the lives of other people, whether they become hugely famous in the world of show business or not, it's, it's the path, the, the journey. As, uh, and now I, sorry to just invoke cliches here, but I'm fascinated by that. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh uh, amazed at what people can endure mm-hmm. if they if they if they know what they want to do. Well, it's it's interesting what you said when you had Tiffany Haddish and that's someone that grew up in the system oh my God. and and her her on the show. You realize it was this this kind of idea that you were discussing that, irregardless, she was destined for for success and comedy. It was right. like a calling that her circumstances obviously had something to do with it, but. She was going to do that regardless. Apparently, yeah, yeah. one wonders, you know. Yeah. Or is it the other way to look at it? In many ways to look at it, is it because of what she endured uh, that she succeeded? Right. You, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, this—you're uh, talking about uh, um, Kim Kardashian, which we talked to last night, and and uh, I, I always thought of her as a joke. Uh, I made jokes about her. People made jokes about her. And then you, you take a look at the, the things in her life that uh, just un- unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And any one of these things would be uh, somebody's life story. And she's had like six or seven mm-hmm. of them. And, and yet she's great self-possession mm-hmm. uh, and, and knows exactly what she needs to do and has done it and has been very successful at it. And, uh, but, but if you chronicle the events of her life, it's like, oh, and then this happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then yeah. that happened. And then OJ used to stop yeah. by and then that happened. Um, yeah. I yeah, know she's been at certain points of history. It's kind of staggering when you think about it. Of all the people that you've interviewed, from the president to Jay-Z to Kanye, Malala, I mean, I think about it, Melinda Gates, uh, who would you want to swap with for a week? Whose life would you want to Freaky Friday it? Uh, well, Jay-Z is very impressive. I, I would like to be Jay-Z. Uh, Sean Carter. <laughs> um, you know, I just, uh, he's, first of all, I wish I looked like him. He, he just walks in a room, and if he were to walk in here, I think we'd all be stunned. What the hell are you doing in here? But, uh, you know, the windows would vibrate. Uh, the kitchen staff would drop to their knees. We wouldn't know what to do. He just one of those guys with uh, great presence. And I, I just really, I wanted, 
I wanted him to be friends with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, oh, maybe if I, and then I thought, no, I probably shouldn't right. bother him. <laughs> Don't you DM him? I mean, I'm sure he would. That was a great interview. That couldn't have been uh, all show. Him. You guys that got along him. great. Yeah, but then I, I think. Uh, oh, but he was so relaxed. That's, he's just cool. Yeah. He's just cool. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, got another call from Mutterman. Oh, okay. Uh, tell him I have a cold. <laughs> I don't know. I, I found him delightful. And, and I'm omitting uh, Barack Obama because that's just obvious. You know, who wouldn't want to be that guy? Especially now. I mean, good God, who wouldn't want to be that guy? Uh, but, but his life uh, and his achievement, there were huge obstacles in, in his mm-hmm. road also. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two guys. Um, and in, in terms of the, the women that we've talked to, Ellen DeGeneres... Uh, 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 again, you know, she grew up in terror mm-hmm. in her own home. And look at her. She's unscarred. Well, I, I don't mean to say unscarred. She is, her scars have healed, mm-hmm. and she has put them in whatever place a person puts mm-hmm. those things. It's wildly successful, very likable, mm-hmm. and incredibly funny. Uh, you know, be, be nice to be her. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be Dave, too. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ish? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I really, uh, uh, it's just stupid to say, but I, I, my favorite time is spent with my son and my family. But uh, as he's growing older, and you're close to this as well, you, you see the distance, you know, which is essential. Yeah. Uh, and then it just uh, doesn't make it less painful. Yeah, it, it's and then, and then I, I you know uh, I just I keep I'm, I was haunted the other day because he and I spent three days together and then uh, I had to come here and he had to go back to school and I think well that was that was great because it was just three full days of just me and the kid. You know, on a chairlift and driving up the mountain and driving back down from the mountain and on the chairlift. And and you don't realize it, but you're absorbing the love that you feel is now tangible. Uh, and then I got to thinking, I, I wonder if I have been a, a decent parent. And I, I keep going back to this one episode when he was like four they were uh, doing away with the uh, space shuttle program. Mm-hmm. And they announced the final launches are taking place. And I thought, oh, crap, I'd love to see. So we go down there for, I think it was the second to the last launch of the Atlantis. And I don't know if you've done this. Uh, but, the, you know, they really put on a show. So they put you on a building and they have snacks and they, you get to watch and the countdown is, oh, and then there's a hold. And, oh, no, the hold is, it's the weather is good. And, the place is surrounded with the uh, form, former shuttle astronauts who kind of concierge the event. And uh, now it's time for launch. So we're all out there on the deck, and we're about a mile away from the gantry. And I have my binoculars, and the thing is lighting up. And they tell you, you're going to feel it in your chest before, and, and you do. And, and so now I'm glued to the binoculars looking at the Atlantis and just things are shaking and mm-hmm. trembling in orange balls. And Harry's standing right there, and he said, Dad, can I have a look? And I said, no. <laughs> and, and, I, and I just thought, what? 
Jesus, what's wrong with me? What, what kind of an asshole says no to their four-year-old son? But I, I couldn't yeah. take my eyes off it. So I, you know, do I deserve to be alive? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you've been, I mean, you've talked about this before, and there's a couple of themes that I'm really interested in. And, and one of them is the costs of success. Like, and you mentioned all these people, obviously, that, that come on your show are hugely successful. And the energy and adrenaline and laser focus that, it, that we know it takes to get to that point and then sustain that, mm-hmm. especially over decades. And for you, it's been so many decades, too many to count, of, of your level of success. And also with Jay-Z and with Ellen and these people that you, you, know, that you have on your show. But that, what's the cost of that? Well, I, I feel like the cost for me is um, the, 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 I, I, um, I was mistakenly uh, the focus as, as the show continued and continued got more and more narrow because when, when you get the show, you think, oh, what if somebody takes it away from me? Because in, in those days, and I think it's still true, if, if you're lucky enough to be in that situation, <clears throat> You, you, you're guarded, you're, you're protected, you, you, this is what you want. So your focus gets tighter and tighter and tighter to the exclusion of life itself. And uh, that's what happened to me. And uh, the price I paid for that was, uh, I wish uh, Harry had siblings. But because uh, I was, I don't know, I don't know if it's just, I don't know what it is, but I didn't feel like I could take my focus off what I was doing for a living to, to start a family, which of course is not true, but it's it's the mistake that I made that uh, I just, uh, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. uh, I'm so happy to have had my son, mm-hmm. but it might be nice that, you know, like in your case, you have a couple of kids. I'd like to see what that's like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the price I paid. And uh, I, I forget the question. Yeah, that was basically for you, okay. just the, how success like All that right. and maintain success. And Can I get other- some more vodka? Thank you. And the other the other question is years I spent at Vanity Fair. One of the one of the things I always found to be true is that the comedians are always the most tortured. They're always the most complicated, yeah. uh, and that the highs that a comedian will have, or the the moments of of great success, or the room, or the movie, or whatever it is, never outweighs the bad. That's right. That's right. I, 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 you're exactly right in characterizing it that way. But I wonder, does it extend to humankind generally? I, I don't know. But it's certainly true for comedians. You can have the greatest experience of adoration uh, one week, and it will never elevate you to the level, same degree, that uh, f- failure deflates you. It just, I don't know why. You, you would think that they would equal out. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that was bad, but this was great. No, it's, Jesus, that was bad. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, and I don't know what that is. And lean I, in. It's like, a, it's like a, it's true. Is it human nature? But I do think it's for the, for the comedian, it is the tortured condition is where the humor comes from, I, I suppose. Guess. I, I, I suppose. I mean, is it that simple? I don't know. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it is. I, I, I know in my case, uh, when I, uh, decided I had to do this, it, it was because I, there was nothing else I could do. 
And that had been proven to me through high school and through college. But I knew or I thought that I could be funny, whether as a writer or saying things that were funny. So I felt like I'm out on a ledge here. Uh, my, my, my parents wanted to send me, and nothing wrong with this, wanted to send me to some in, industrial, uh, I don't know what they were, where you learn to repair vinyl or work mm-hmm. on uh, diesel. And that's fine, you know. Uh, so I knew that I had this, this one thing I could do. And so I put all my chips on that. And I've been very, very, very fortunate. So for me, it was, I just don't know what else I would have done. You know, mm-hmm. I think I probably would have drank myself to death but because uh, I was only, I only was happy if, if there was a demonstration that people thought I was worth something. And, and the value was, oh, I made some people laugh. Mm-hmm. And, and I talk to my friend Tom Dreesen about this all the time, and uh, are you funny? And uh, he always said, if you can make a room of 200 people, 200 strangers laugh, you're funny. That's, that's it. It's the, the requirements are not that complicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can, can comedians truly be friends? Or is there always a frenemy of like that joke or this joke or you got more laughs yeah. or you got the better no, time set? It can be, uh, you're exactly right. I mean, that, and, but that was part of it. Uh, and when we were kids, it was, oh, uh, Larry has got a, He'll be on the Merv Griffin show, and you think, what? Wait a minute, how did Larry get on the Merv Griffin show? Or Larry's on stage, and you're getting ready to go on, and Larry's getting big laughs, and you think, holy crap, they like Larry better than they like me? Larry's not that funny. It's, it's a lot of that. And, and I think, I suppose some of that stays with you, but it's part of maturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, it's like you talked about the 10,000 hours. It's the seat time of it all. You, you gain confidence in what you're capable of, and, and are, it's easy to admire somebody who is so much more skilled without feeling like, God dang it. Um, but when you're a kid, it's just, Jesus, how do you get on Merv Griffin? God damn it, I'm Merv! <laughs> That's a good throwback, too, Merv Griffin. <laughs> yeah. Mike well, Douglas. Mike Douglas. Dinah Shore had a show, for God's sake. There was yeah. a wide variety, and they would even send you up to Canada. The Canadian government subsidized these television shows, and there would be talk shows, and they would use American comics, and they would fly up up to uh, Vancouver or Toronto, and you get to be on the Alan Thick show or the uh, somebody. Everybody was named Alan. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a great experience because you go up to Canada, you'd be on one of these shows and bomb, and nobody would know about it except the Canadians, and, you know, they didn't care if you bombed or not. Uh, Do you stay in touch with any of those peeps that you knew back in the day? Yeah, I had dinner with some uh, friends uh, last night, um, and I do stay in touch. I, I, feel, uh, I feel really comfortable with these people. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's just part of growing older, but these are, these are men and women that I'm growing older with who have had the same experience. Uh, and, yeah. I do stand. And what about your proteges of like Jimmy Kimmel and Conan and Stephen Colbert and? Well, you know, I'm I'm um, I'm impressed with these people. Really impressed to the point of intimidation, uh, because I when when I see what they're doing, it, it seems so effortless for them. And for me, it was never effortless. It just I. Um, 
And then later I, I uh, discovered some medication that helped. That. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, the, the shows that these guys are doing, the three people that you mentioned, are, are different than my show. And they, the same with Carson. You never saw Carson struggle, stumble, sweat, and you don't see these guys struggle, stumble, sweat. And it seems to me like, you know, can I get a change of shirt because I'm stumbling and sweating here? But that's only from your purview. That perhaps, wasn't from anybody perhaps. else's purview. I, I, I just think they're better at it than I was. Um, and good for them, you know, good, good for them because I, I wouldn't wish my own level of insecurities on them, mm-hmm. on anybody. When you say the medication, did it, did it, did you find that it immediately made it a effect changed for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, immediately within a three month period. And, uh, my, uh, doctor, Lou Aroni, who is, cre- he saved my life, honestly, but he kept saying, you know, you should, because I, I used to, we, we kept a supply of telephones in, in a uh, closet off the office because if I would get angry about name something, uh, I would yank the phone out of the wall or I would smash the phone and then they would, okay, busted another phone, go in and, and they'd come in and plug in the next phone. And, and was, I, it, was it satisfying though? No, Did it, it was oh, it embarrassing. Didn't. It was right. horrifying. You're not supposed to behave that way. I, I mean, there's a certain part of my life that just still makes me cringe. And uh, and Lou would keep saying to me, you know, Dave, you don't need to be this way. It's uh, and he would always compare me to uh, someone with diabetes. He said, it's just like getting a shot of insulin. That would help. Not not a, it's not an injection, but similar cause and effect. And so I uh, I lapsed into this miserable anxious depression. And uh, that's when I first got to understand what mm-hmm. depression was. It's, it's not, oh, geez, the Lakers, uh, the Clippers are not having mm-hmm. a great season. It's not sadness. It's, you know, it's like going down. You know, we're still going down. Hang on, we're not done. We're not there mm-hmm. yet. We're still going down. So uh, that's, that's when I realized that, oh, this, this is a way people, and uh, you know, like everybody says, well, if I start taking this, it might affect, but it doesn't, it didn't, it, it, it didn't affect, no. And, and there's, uh, I, I can't remember the last time he yanked a phone out of the wall. Uh, and uh, the other thing was, you know, you put your fist through the sheetrock. That was always fun, mm-hmm. but just that's primitive. That's stupid, but that's how I lived my life for a long time. And I, I find it ridiculous. Well, also people had a certain aura around that, you know, there was a certain, uh, I don't know, celebrity around that kind of behavior too, to a degree. I, I suppose. Because you weren't alone in that, <laughs> I well, would say. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't speak to other uh, situations, but I regret it. Uh, uh, and I, I'm not that way now mm-hmm. and, and wish I had not been that way earlier. Mm-hmm. Does Harry make you laugh? Yeah, he does make me laugh. He uh, <laughs> he really he makes me laugh because he's he's going through that phase where, huh, what? It's a lot of that. And uh, the other day I said, <clears throat> Harry, we were at an airport. I said, go in there, just go in, get out of the truck, and go in there and find out what time the uh, plane is leaving. 
no. And I said, no, come on, Harry, go on. I'm not going to. What do you think they're doing over there? They're, they're Sharpening cleaning, knives? No, or? they're cleaning uh, the uh, griddle. Oh. They're slicing meat. They're ah. slicing the new metallic meat. <laughs> um, so uh, I said, Harry, when I was your age... <laughs> so good. I said, when I was your age, I would do everything at an airport. I could go in, I could check the plane, I'd get the kind of plane, I'd get the flight number, I'd get the seats. I said, when I was your age, I did all of that stuff. And Harry said, is that when you work for the Wright brothers? Yeah. And I thought, ow, whoa, buddy. <laughs> A short right hook and he's down. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I could, uh, yeah, I get a lot of OK Boomer in my house. Yeah, still. yeah. And I'm like, I'm not a boomer. And they're like, you don't get the joke. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's double. It's, but it's, as irritating as all that can be, it's, it's still under the banner of, God, is this amusing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're such a, a, a goon. It's, you know, but he's not a goon with his buddies. He's just fine with his buddies. He's just a goon with me. Mm-hmm. Huh? What? <laughs> Harry, you know, when you open the refrigerator, feel free to close it when you're done. You know, a lot of that stuff. Turn off a light switch. Yeah, that's that. right. Yeah. Yeah. Put the put the clothes in the hamper that are right <laughs> next to the hamper on the floor. Right. I struggle with that minor little detail. Yeah, it just seems like the connection often is not made or neither is the awareness that there could be a connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's it's geez, it's funny. What are you uh obsessed with these days that people would be surprised to know? Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with a, a, a lot of things that drive me nuts. I'll, I'll tell you what it is, and I've noticed this creeping up on civilization within the last 15 years. There, there is a universal traffic code. I don't care what state, what city, what country, there's a universal traffic code. And it's, it's one of, I mean, if we can put together a universal traffic code for the planet, you'd think we'd be able to do something for climate change. People, they've made it easier and easier and easier for humans to get a driver's license. And it's amazing to me that humans are allowed to drive anyway. 3,000-pound vehicle that can go 150 miles an hour. What drives me absolutely crazy, and in the old days, I probably would have tapped on a window, opened the person's door, and had a talk with that person, and then I'd be shot dead. But it's the, you come to a four-way intersection and people don't know the rule. Come to a two-way intersection, people don't know the rule. You come to a flashing yellow light, people don't know the rule. So what you get is, because they don't know, they decide to take the law into their own hands and it's this. Mm-hmm. You, That's you, a gesture uh, you for go listeners. You you go first. No, no, I don't know the rules, so you go first. Yes, but you have the right of way. You're not allowed to take the law into your own hands. Yes, but I don't know the law, so you go first. You just go first. I hate it. <laughs> and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Well, there is a the saying that I feel like among my girlfriends we talk about, there's, there's no better uh, example of white male privilege than the four-way stop in Los Angeles. <laughs> Yeah. If you ever want to know if it exists, just go anywhere where there's that four-way yeah. you could see. Um, all right. I want to talk a little bit about the new show. So here in L.A., mm-hmm. it's great to have you back Thank here you. for a second or two. Um, tell me what you've been doing here. Well, uh, last night we uh, chatted with uh, Kim Kardashian uh, for an hour and a half, and that was fun. And then we're uh, getting ready to uh, talk to um, younger 
newer comedians, not not brand new first time out of the house uh, comedians. And I, I'm looking forward to that because this is an area that um, I don't I don't know as much about as I should. And when I see people uh, at this level, uh, via usually via Netflix, uh, I'm stunned and amazed and and in in awe. Of. So I'm I'm looking forward to finding out what these people if there is a commonality still with people uh, at, at a nascent stage of their careers is anything like I was in 1975. So that I'm really looking forward to that. And, and, and by the way, I, I mean, the industry of stand-up comedy is stunning. I mean, it, it says something about what people want in their lives and are willing to hunt it down, pay for it, mm-hmm. go see it, support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when, when I first started, there weren't comedy clubs around the country. And, and now uh, you're not really a city unless you have a half a dozen comedy clubs. And we used to laugh about it. You know, it's, it's giggles, it's yuck yucks, it's ha-has. But they survive, they flourish, they're supported, and, and the net product are these comedy superstars. So for me, this is going to be great fun to kind of layer over, because I like to talk mostly about myself, to layer over my experience with what these people who are really in it uh, are are like and where they're going and how Mm -hmm. they got there. And and if if the motivation is similar, like I talked about being out on a ledge, it was this or nothing. I wonder if that exists with the newer people, younger people. Well, it's so different, generate generationally because for you it was getting up on stage getting that minute on Carson coming through that curtain is he going to invite you to sit down or not and now comedy's in your hand mm-hmm. in your smartphone right it's like can someone write a super funny caption off of Instagram can mm-hmm. someone do a little bit where they make you laugh in, yeah. in, in 20 I talked to seconds. a guy last night who says the only thing that he uses is so, the only people he follows on on uh, Twitter are, are comics he said I don't read anything else but funny people uh, I can remember when uh, I was doing it, there was a thing called Dial-A-Joke. And somebody had a thing where they would pay you $200 and you'd go into a, an audio booth and you'd do your entire act. And then then y- there was a number you could call Dial-A-Joke and they would bust your act up into how many ever jokes or bits or things. And you could call up this number and listen to... And, and it's so primitive... But, you know, now there's a fairly electronically sophisticated version of that. Mm-hmm. Dial a joke, dial a phone, it's so good. Um, all right, one, one last bit about um, your downtime in Montana. How is your fishing? Is your skiing better than your fishing? No. My, well, they're, they're about the same, sadly. Uh, I love fishing. I love skiing. Uh, I love skiing because it's something I get to do with my family. Uh, I love fishing because I like doing that with my family but the the best part about fishing uh, um, and I don't catch a lot of fish and I'm not one of these guys I've been out with guides and they say well you need a thing and you gotta have an indicator and then we're gonna drop and then we're gonna put a double fly and then this and then that Uh, but the few times I have actually dry flied uh, and something comes up and grabs it and you pull it out of there and it's like a 14 inch rainbow trout or a brown trout that's it. That's all I want. That's if I can do that once a summer, I'm it's just fine. It's the greatest feeling, isn't it? Yeah, Even if fantastic. I throw it back, it's just the greatest yeah. feeling. Yeah, I usually just go right there on the bank and eat it. 
No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, these guys in uh, uh, the uh, Big Sky Journal, it's always... Yeah. I don't want that. I, yeah. I don't want a four-foot trout. Yeah. Just something... You don't want to pose on the cover, No, I, your, I don't want to, you your know... your waders. I just... Uh, the, the animals are beautiful. Uh... They're just beautiful. They're like jewelry. Uh, and uh, But just too out of the blue, if you just cast to one, you can tell when something's going on. And you just drop that fly right in there, and then you feel it bump, try it again, and then bang! Uh, it's, it's delightful. And then you, you get to put the thing back, and uh, everybody goes home happy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been delightful hanging out with you. You know, it has been delightful. I'm really glad. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been so yeah. fun. Yeah. I'll see you in my living room. All right. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Good to see you. Thanks so much for joining me. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company. Present Company.